six-part series about jealousy, something that affects us all. And um, I only recently, actually this week, discovered, like all through the series, it's been a really difficult series for me because every, every little bit, God would make me more aware of things I was jealous about, things I'm envious of, things that I wish. And, and every, every week we've tried to give really simple, straightforward, practical advice for people. But today, today is, is all, today is no theory, all practical. Um, and so uh, I hope you find something you can take away to, uh, for God to slay the green-eyed monster, as Shakespeare calls him. So let's just do a real quick flashback to the last five weeks of what's been going on. So we started off with a clip from Toy Story where Woody is jealous of Buzz Lightyear and uh, you know we we're saying that everybody is subject to jealousy, even toddlers' toys. Um, and, and it affects us sometimes in areas of our lives that we never would have even dreamed. Um, and we shared this quote that people were created to be loved and things were created to be used. The reason why the world is in chaos is because things are being loved and people are being used. And what jealousy does is it makes you want something that you don't have and hate somebody who has it. And in the end, you don't have the thing you wanted and you hate this person who's supposed to be your friend and you're miserable. Far more miserable than you were in the first place. Far poorer than one was before this all began. And we've, we had said that uh, we we're going to you know, look at this for six weeks and see, um, and see what, we can learn, what, what we can learn together. Sorry, I'll just be a minute here to get my notes. And what we were saying is that God can take something as evil as jealousy. Envy is, was the vehicle by which the devil got humanity to fall. He tells humanity, taste of this apple, eat from this apple and you can be like God. He makes humanity envious of God through his envy to humanity and how God can take something like envy, like jealousy and make something really good out of it. And that's what we're talking about today. The second week we're talking about how jealousy is like grasping for the wind because the overwhelming majority of things that we wish for, that we grasp for, that we long for, that we're jealous for, the overwhelming majority of those things are things which are so temporary. And the moment you have them, you want something else. The moment you have them, you feel maybe somewhat unfulfilled. And there's some verses from Ecclesiastes about how envy is just grasping for the wind. And then the third week we talked about not necessarily being jealous, but what to do when people are jealous of us, right? And our, our party line was to love them anyways, and to be grateful to them, and to big them up. And that envy and jealousy oftentimes come from a place of insecurity. So if you can help that person find their security, although they may only find it in God, but nonetheless you can help them to find some degree of security that may help, help them with their jealousy, which may make things better for you. The, the, the fourth week, 
we examined God's jealousy. And what does it mean that God is jealous? And we examined this verse which says, Do not worship any other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. And the party line there, the summary there, was that God is jealous for us the way a, a husband or a wife are jealous for each other. If, if suddenly my wife or, 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 or your, your partner or your spouse or your business partner or whatever started to take interests outside of what they had committed to, if I, didn't, if I don't show some degree of jealousy, of, of, of anger, of frustration, of, of resentment, then it would, you think, I don't care about that relationship. God is saying that I have an exclusive relationship with you. I want to have a relationship with you and you alone. And I expect for you to have a relationship with me and me alone. I expect an exclusive relationship. God is saying to you and he's saying, and he's saying to me. And he's inviting us into this exclusive relationship where we are jealous for God and God is jealous for us. Where we want God and we want all of him. And he wants all of you. And the fifth week was called Put It on a Leash. We talked about ways to restrain our jealousy, to keep it, to keep it in and to keep it contained and to offer it to God to heal us, to, to transition these channel these very destructive thoughts and feelings towards something which can be productive. And this week, now that we've talked about containing it and taming the lion and putting it on a leash, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about what it means, what to do with it. In this last slide, then I get a pointer, right? Um, recently, we found this like little backpack thing for Zoe, our youngest daughter, and it has a leash on it, right? And I was reflecting to myself that, like, you know what? When I'm jealous, I'm like I'm like a little kid who who doesn't know what's good for me, and I'm running in all kinds of different directions, and I'm bound to hurt myself, and I really need to figure out a way to put it on a leash. So what to do with our jealousy? If we look to scripture, we'll find some examples again. Do you remember after the resurrection, Jesus goes to the seashore and his disciples have gone back to fishing. They've gone back to their old life. And there's so much could be said about that, but we're not going to focus on that. Jesus has a conversation with St. Peter. And at the end of the conversation with St. Peter, he says to him, he says to him, but you follow me. He says to him, tend my sheep, take care of my lambs, and so on, feed my sheep. And he says to him, but you follow me. St. Peter sees, St. Peter sees St. John following along as well. So what does St. Peter say? He says, but Lord, what about this man? See, Jesus, when he talked to St. Peter, he told him, now you do whatever you want. St. Peter was a bit impulsive and, and was a bit boisterous and loud and, you know, and he told them, so now you do what you want, but there will come a time where they will bind you up and they will do with you what they want. Speaking about the death by which he would glorify God, says the gospel. That St. Peter would glorify God, says the gospel. So Jesus says this to St. Peter, and then Jesus says to St. Peter, but you follow me. 
So St. Peter's like, okay, I'll follow. And he turns and he sees St. John following as well. So what does he say? He says, but Lord, what about this man? But Lord, what about him? How's he going to die? Right? Jesus told St. Peter, now you do whatever you want, but there's going to come a time where they're going to tie you up and they're going to do with you what they want. Well, that's kind of like uh, a bit like, you know, anxiety-provoking. And then he sees St. John and he's following. He says, well, what about this guy? What's going to happen to him? What does Jesus answer? Jesus said to him, if I will but he remains till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And that's what we do. This is what happens. This is what happens when we get jealous. We look at what we have, and then we see what our neighbor has. And in the second session, Mary was telling us that jealousy is ultimately, jealousy turns into anger and resentment and bitterness, okay? Kind of goes through that, it kind of goes through, through that transition if we let it go for long enough. And who are we actually angry with? The person for having what we want initially. But eventually when we start asking, well, why does that person have it and I don't? Ultimately, we end up with, if we're people who, if you're a person who believes in God, you start thinking to yourself, well, I guess that's just the cards God has dealt me. So God has dealt these cards to St. John, but these cards to St. Peter. So who am I actually bitter and angry and resentful with? With God with the cards that I've been dealt. How come I have this and that person has that? Jesus' answer to this whole conversation, which is all playing out in St. Peter's head so faster than words can be written, is, but you follow me. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna take that apart um, and we're going to dissect it and see how we can make that, how we can make that our, our solution. Today's session is called Look Up, okay? Look up. The problem is when I'm jealous, I'm looking at what I have or what my neighbor has, but I'm not looking up. Look up to the one who has called you. Accept your calling. I'm saying these words, forgive me that they're written in the imperative. I'm not pointing a finger at anybody. If I'm, I'm certainly pointing a finger at myself. Look up, John. Look at your calling. Look at what God has called you to and do the best that you can do with that. There's something called the Peter Principle. There's a book written on it by a guy called Lawrence Peter, which says that people are promoted to the level of their incompetence. The first time I read that, I didn't get it. And then this kind of illustrates it, right? So you, you succeed at something, you advance. You succeed at something, you advance. You succeed at something, you advance. You fail, maybe you get a second try or a third try, and then you just kind of stay there, right? So people are promoted to the level of their incompetence. And once they become no longer competent to do that, then they stay at that level. That's kind of how the world works, right? That's kind of how the world works. For better or for worse or whatever, and you may agree or disagree. I mean, I'm sure a lot more has been written about this than what, what I know, right? But I can tell you something, that God doesn't work that way. Because... When you hire somebody or when somebody comes to work with you you, you, you have to take them as they are. You just have to accept people for who they are, right? God accepts us for who we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. That's why God does not call those who are equipped, but equips those whom he calls. 
So he calls you first, then he equips you. He calls the disciples and tells them, you will be fishers of men. But they only receive the Holy Spirit three years later. God calls us, trains us, prepares us, transforms us, and makes us into everything that will reveal His glory in us, that makes us glorified with Him. He doesn't expect you to do everything that's in His plan for you as you are. But He wants to take you and me and shape us and form us so that we can then have the capacity to do all of which He wants us to do. But the first step of that is going to be to accept what He's called us to and to stop looking at what He's called St. John to because He's called me to something and He's called you to something else. And my calling is not any higher than your calling. Don't for one minute ever believe that the calling of a priest or a minister or a bishop or the Pope himself is more holy than your calling, than what God has called you to. Because the body has many members. And the folks that set up the lights and the video and the TVs and whatever are just as important as me who spends several hours preparing. And the people who help me prepare these talks, I don't do it by myself. Everybody is playing a role. We're all just, I'm just a little cog in a really big wheel named God. Look at Moses. He calls Moses. Moses has a stutter. Moses ran away twice. Moses doesn't know what he's doing. He calls Moses. He equips him. And he sends him out to do his will. Look at Joseph. Joseph, oh my goodness, the most, I mean, Joseph's brothers were jealous of him, but for good reason. I mean, he goes and tells them, one day you'll come down and kneel before me. He has all these dreams, which are true. And God gives him the ability to interpret dreams, which is great. But don't rub it in their faces. Even his father and his mother get annoyed with him. He goes and tells them, one day you'll come and worship before me. Like, come on now, right? Uh, unwise to the nth degree, God takes him as he is, right? Puts him through the pit and the prison and the this and the that, makes him governor of Egypt, causes the, the salvation of the whole world through him. More important than all of that, he is, becomes an icon of Christ, right? That through him, he kept wheat, and there was bread for the whole world, and the world was saved through famine because of him having bread to be the life of the world. Come on now. Come on now, right? It's like John 6 in the book of Genesis. You know what I mean? And he gets to be, like, we're doing a play, you know, and Jesus is one of the characters in the play, and he gets to play Jesus. What greater, what greater honor given to the unwise 10th brother, 11th brother, Joseph, right? God calls, he equips, and then he does glorious things, and he wishes to do the same with you and with me. Look at St. Paul, Saul of Tarsus, describes himself as insolent, wrecking havoc upon the church, right? God takes him, transforms him, and makes him... St. Paul, the apostle who preached the whole known world and wrote more than half 
of the New Testament. God is calling you and he's calling me to a specific, very simple, clear calling. The first step is to accept that calling and to stop looking to my left and to my right at the calling of others. You're going to ask, well, what is my calling? Of? Well, like, what am I called to do? Am, am, I, you know, am I supposed to be like studying biochemistry? And what am I going to do with that anyways? And I'll tell you something. I have a really good friend and father figure whose name is Bishop Paul. Bishop Paul believes that we should all be consecrated 100% to God. I've known him for a long time. I've known him since I was 18, right? And every now and again, he would visit or he would call and he would tell me I'm wasting my life and I should go to the mission field, right? And, the, the, you know, and that people in Africa are ripe to hear the gospel. You're wasting your life. And this while I'm working 100 plus hours a week, slave, a slave in the hospital and dying, right? So my reality is grueling and necessarily very painful. And what he's telling me sounds so enticing. So I would get so shaken up and I would go to my room and I would pray and pray. And for, for literally, oftentimes, six weeks or two months, I would pray and ask God, Lord, what do you want me to do? And what's your will for me? And what's my calling? And all this stuff, right? And, and, and I, I never got like a, a vision from heaven or something, but I would pray with tears because I really did feel out of place in what I was doing. I loved my job. I absolutely loved it. And I was very good at it. But I felt that what Bishop Paul was saying was so true as well. Anyhow, at the end of you oftentimes six weeks or two months of praying every night asking God for clarity, I get an answer from God. I get a very simple and very clear nudging in my heart telling me, look at your feet. Where are you now? Where are you standing? Well, I'm standing in my apartment in Vancouver. Why are you in Vancouver? Well, because I'm a general surgery resident here. Then be a general surgery resident. Look at where you are. Are you a mom? Are you a dad? Are you a brother? Are you a sister? Are you a biochemistry student? Are you... Where, where are you now? Be faithful in what God has called you to right now. The answer to what my calling is, is so obvious. We oftentimes are looking for the mystical end game answer, you know, like, like where am I gonna be when I'm 40, or where am I gonna be when I'm 50, or where am I gonna be when whatever, do you know what I mean? And what direction is my life going, and all of that. But that's not a useful question. The useful question is, where are you right now? That's going to tell you what you should be doing right now. Because guess what most students should be doing with most of their time? Studying. Who'd have thought? Right? You know, and guess what most general surgery residents are supposed to be doing? They're supposed to be working 100 to 120 hours a week because that's what they do. Right? That's just, that's, that's just, that's where God has placed me. And at that moment, it became clear to me that God had worked multiple miracles. Like I knew this, but I'd never put two and two together. That God had worked multiple miracles to get me to where I was 
in that moment. So if God had suddenly changed his mind and wanted me to be somewhere else, don't you think he would work multiple miracles to get me there? Or would he be like, okay, I changed my mind, um, and through no special circumstances, you can just go back to whatever other life? No, of course not. If he's worked a whole bunch of miracles to get me here, he probably wants me here for a reason. You know, if he's like suspended gravity and da-da-da, like done like the unthinkable, most likely he wants me here to do something. So I probably shouldn't leave until it's done. Just look at where you are in this moment. Where are you? What are you doing? Do it to the best of your capacity. Be as faithful as you know how to be in that thing. To quote William Shakespeare, this above all to thine own self be true. Be honest with yourself. If you're an HR manager, an IT professional, a student, marketing consultant, just do what God has put you there to do. Be faithful in it, and the next door will open in its own time. St. Paul is talking about stewardship, and he's talking about people boasting and saying, well, I do this, well, I do that, well, I make the Orban, like this was in the church, well, I make the Orban, well, I teach the hymns, well, I whatever, right? To, to kind of copticize it. He says, what makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? He's saying, why do you boast about what you have? If what you have is only something that you have because it was given to you, it was a gift. It wasn't because of some merit of yours. It wasn't because you're high and mighty or special. No, it's because God is gracious and he chose to give you this gift. So if God has given you the gift of healing the sick or raising the dead or flying off the CN Tower for all I care, that, that's God's goodness and his power and to his credit and his glory. Not to your own. So why do you boast? So why do you, why do you make a big deal of it, right? And the point is this, is that my calling, if I think it's mundane, if it's the opposite, rather than boasting, I'm doing the opposite. I'm complaining about it. And, but this is what God has given you. So why are you complaining? It's not like, it's not like, but studying is so boring and like, like, why couldn't he, why couldn't have God made me like, I don't know, some like crime scene investigator or something. That would have been far more interesting, right? Maybe, but God has made you this, right? So no need to boast, no need to complain, just to accept it because it's God's gift for each one of us. This, this is one of my, has become one of my favorite verses Right? Oftentimes we spend so much of our energy worrying about whether, uh, what other people are going to think about us. This, this should be like the tagline for most social media platforms, right? For exaltation comes neither from east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. God is the one who takes care of what other people are going to think of you. So, if being a student, sorry to carry on with this example, but we'll just carry on with it since it's easy, is far less sexy than being a crime scene investigator, right? Fine, and people are going to think I have a boring life. Leave it to God. God has promised, God has promised to take care of what people think of you. 
You take care of your jealous relationship with your jealous God who wants only you and let him take care of what people think of you because he has promised to do so. He has promised to take care of what other people think and say about you. So don't worry about it. Easy for me to stand here to say don't worry about it. But go to Psalm 75, whenever the thoughts start coming to you about what, what are people going to say and what are people going to think and oh my God, I look so stupid in this picture and go to Psalm 75. God promises that he will take care of you. He puts down who needs to be put down and he exalts who needs to be exalted. Leave it to him. Know that God is saying you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He crafted you exactly exactly how he needs and wants you to be so that you can live the most glorious life possible. God loves you and you are special to you. You're a one-hit wonder. He's only made one of you and he's not planning to make another. Our second point is to rejoice. One of my favorite books in the Bible, short, short book in the Bible, that might be one of the reasons why I like it, but other reasons also is Philippians. Philippians is this really short book where St. Paul says the word rejoice over 18 times. And he writes this book from the most, this letter, from the most dire of circumstances. He's in the dungeon, which is like the pit in a prison. Just a horrible place, you know, and really like, like, just a terrible, terrible, terrible place. And he's writing a letter to people telling them rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice. One of the things he talks about is this. He got word that once he got put in prison, people who didn't like him and were jealous of him started preaching the gospel out of envy. They're like, oh, he's, he's out of the way. Now we can preach the gospel and we can become like the, I don't know, preacher superstars. I know it's really hard for, for, for you all to believe, but preachers are almost all jealous of each other. Okay, sorry to blow our cover, you know, for all of you watching on YouTube, everybody else. Other, other, other preachers watch the stuff we stream and they call me and they're like, I can't believe you said, right? And I'll get a few phone calls probably about this, right? We're all jealous of each other, right? So there's these bunch of other preachers and they're jealous of St. Paul and he gets put in prison. They're like, yes, and they go and they start preaching wildly. And the gospel is just being accepted left, right, and center. You know what St. Paul says? He says, yes, indeed, I will rejoice. See, because St. Paul was different. He knew that the solution to jealousy was to rejoice, was to celebrate. To celebrate what? To celebrate that the gospel is being spread. And to say, even if it hasn't totally penetrated into your heart, it doesn't matter whether it's me or it's them. It matters that the gospel is being preached. So he says, for indeed, some preached Christ from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. He says, and he's saying, it's almost like he's trying to convince himself, yes, in this I will rejoice, yes, I will rejoice. So rejoice, celebrate, celebrate other people's wins. Even if it's hard for you to do it. If it's hard for you to do it and you don't want to congratulate the person who just got the promotion because you thought you were going to get it, go celebrate them anyways. Go celebrate them anyways. Why? Because they deserve it. Because they deserve to be celebrated. 
you might think that you deserve it as well. That's fine. That's a separate thing. But they deserve it. When somebody does well at something, when somebody looks good in something that I could never wear, go and tell them, you look great in those jeans. No need to add the second part of it, which is, I could probably never wear those, right? That part can stay inside, right? Celebrate them. Rejoice in them, right? And then you find that, that was in chapter 1. In chapter 4, there was these two prominent women, Eudea and Syntyche, right? And these two prominent women are, are always bickering with each other. And the church is starting to get divided into two camps. Since I implore you, Dia, and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. He's saying, he's trying to tell us, look, envy and, and strife and jealousy is going to tear the church apart. Rejoice. Spend your time and your energy rejoicing in God, praising God, rather than, rather than bickering and fighting over what you have and what the other person has and why don't I have what that person has and so on. I'm going to share with you 12 quick tips. This is a review of a lot of things that we've discussed throughout, throughout this series. Okay, the first, the first real quick easy tip to overcome jealousy is to admit it to yourself. To admit that I am jealous. I wish that I had what this person has. I wish that I could look like this person looks and so on. And to accept that it affects us all. Anybody who thinks that they are outside the grasps of the green-eyed monster, like Shakespeare calls him, jealousy is just fooling themselves to admit it. The second step, repent and confess. Say it out loud to God. Say it out loud in the presence of a priest. Say it out loud in the presence of a close friend, not just anybody, but a close friend. Put a name on it. I am jealous of this and this and that. Make it clear, right? Because that's going to be the first, these are the first initial steps. The third thing is to totally, totally forgive. Oftentimes the people we're jealous of are not perfectly harmless. Sometimes they are. Sometimes they have no idea and they did absolutely nothing. But sometimes we, we know that someone may be jealous of this and we go out of our way to kind of flaunt it a little bit, right? Forgive them. Forgive them. The only way, the only way to find peace with ourselves and with God, which is a whole other series, is to forgive, is to just let it go. Let go whatever pain, whatever hurt you're holding inside. You may still feel the pain, you may still feel the hurt, but the first step is, is, is to let it go. It might not dissipate immediately, but it will never dissipate if you're holding on to it, hand, tooth, and nail. Forgive. Totally forgive. Just let it go. The fourth point is choose God's praise over people's compliments for you. Remember Psalm 75. God himself is preparing glory and praise for you. I don't need the compliments of other people. Some people will compliment me. You know, there's a saying in the Orthodox Church, one day they will hail you, the next day they will nail you. Right? Palm Sunday and Good Friday all happened in the same week. One day, Jesus is the Messiah. Next day, crucify him, crucify him. If they did that with Jesus, they'll do it with me. So don't take people's compliments too seriously because one day people will be fond of you and one day they will be less so. But rather, seek 
the praise which comes from God and God alone. Anticipate a reward from Christ. Jesus says one of the most beautiful promises. He says, where my servant is, I am. Why? Because the servant follows his master to serve him. And my father will honor him. Can you picture that? Can you picture that God himself will honor you? I mean, it's just mind-boggling. It's We spend all of our time and energy honoring God. Can you imagine that God himself wishes to honor us? Let's give him something that he can honor us for. The sixth thing is was something we talked about a lot today, accepting our calling, accepting my lot, accepting where the chips have fallen, accepting where things are for me. The seventh thing, remember that God decides what people should think of you. We talked a lot about that. The eighth thing, let God vindicate you. Oftentimes when I get angry, then I get vengeful. I want to get back. Revenge belongs to God. Many, many, many verses say, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Why? Because God loves to take evil and turn it into something good. Turn it into something good for you. And God is just. God is just. So don't worry that your justice has not been, things aren't, have been, haven't been fair for you and you haven't gotten your fair share of, don't worry, God loves to be fair. He loves that. And he says, vengeance is mine. When we take revenge, we're taking something away from God. And God doesn't like that. The ninth point was develop godly jealousy. We talked a lot about that in the fourth week, um, and we mentioned it again today. To develop this exclusive relationship with God. The tenth point, set your sight on heaven, not on things of the earth. Talked about that in the second week, right? Be thankful came up several times throughout the series that one of the, the quickest and, and most relieving antidotes to jealousy is gratitude. To look at what I do have rather than what I don't. And the last thing which we spoke a lot about today is to rejoice, to praise God. Jealousy is counting the blessings of others rather than counting our own. Let's make a commitment to each other today that you and I will focus our energy and our effort on the things that we do have and thank God for them and praise Him for them and rejoice in what God has given us and rejoice in what God has given others and still keep our eyes peeled for the green-eyed monster. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.